0: Ecclesiastics 3.11, and then we'll be just flipping over to its sister scripture in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 this evening. Fran Drozas, in 2016, finished 26,000, in, she finished in 26,639th place in the Boston Marathon, dead last. The 72-year-old at the time was running this race. The roaring crowds, of course, had gone. Many of the officials had departed. Workers were tearing down the stands, the barricades, when she crossed the finish line at 8.45 in the evening. But her story really isn't that she was in last place or why she was running. She had run more than 75 marathons throughout her life. She had run the Boston Marathon... This year for the Dana Farber Cancer Institute, her husband, who at the time was battling cancer for the third time, met her at the finish line with a medal. He called, uh, he called, uh, the police earlier that day thinking his wife might have gotten hurt or lost. One media report outlet reported it turned out that the race's loser was quite A winner. In life, we have to understand that there are purposes God has, and that others might see it in one way, but God sees it in another. And I want to consider with you, because if you don't understand God's purpose in the earth, if you don't understand God's purpose in your life, if you don't understand that God works through circumstances, you'll drift. That God has a purpose. And I want to consider this with you this evening. The word purpose literally means a result or an effect that is intended or desired. Its synonyms include the word intention determination or resolution. The matter at hand or the point at issue. That's what the word purpose means. God has a purpose. So I want to consider that. Ecclesiastics 3, beginning in verse 1 through 8, this is not part of the text we're going to look at, but it is a prelude into the text we're going to look at. Says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to be quiet, a time to quiet searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. There was a music group back in the 60s that took that, and they actually sang that in the original King James Version has a hit song, The Yardbirds. It goes on to say, verse 11, is what I want to look at tonight. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I want to talk to you firstly that God has a purpose. He has a focus. God's not in heaven making this up as we go along. This is what some people do. I was reading a very fascinating article, to me anyway, uh, about e- evolution and, you know, how they try to do this and how they try to work it. And they say, oh, we may have solved a 200-year puzzle when life actually began uh, from rocks to plants to, to you know, uh, mammals. Like, good luck with that. 540 million years ago, Something happened in a chemical mush and a pond somewhere, and you know, who knows where on planet Earth when things were different and temperatures were different and nitrogen was different and oxygen was, and you know, wham bam, sh- there it is. And if that's true, if that's what you hold to, that you evolved out of primeval ooze, then we have no purpose. We are just simply a cosmic accident, and that's tragic. Because there's many people today, as you see and read the news, as you grasp a hold of the worthlessness that some people hold to human life with, you can see that they have lost any sense of purpose and divine purpose at that. God has had a big plan from the beginning. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, he prophesied that there would be a a, a human that would come from uh, the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. God had a plan. That's the first, Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of Jesus. Death does not end our plan that God has for us. The grave is not the end God still has a plan after we get to the other side. Ecclesiastics 3.11, and this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord, or another, the King, New King James says eternal purpose. His plan, his purpose, his aim, uh, that God has got something, and this involves all of eternity. That not just this life, that God's plan and your purpose does not end here. God's preparing you and I for something that goes beyond even here. Jesus' whole ministry was geared around purpose. Luke 4 43. But he replied, I must preach the good news in the kingdom of God in other towns too, because this is why I was sent. In John twelve twenty seven, Jesus says, my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. That Jesus understood there was a purpose. He came to earth to accomplish something. That understanding, we're not going to save the world. We're not going to be the one to die upon a cross for the sins of others. But God has a purpose for your life. Our texts, both of these, Ecclesiastics 311, Romans 828, tell us that God is at work. God is working in the earth. Philippians 1, 6, we'll look at this a little further down the, in the sermon too, but knowing this from the very beginning, God has purposed a work for you and will finish it the day that Jesus Christ comes back. It also tells us that God's in control of Circumstances. There are times in life where circumstances seem out of our control, totally out of. We're 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 Westerners. We're Americans. A few Dutch people in here, but we're you know Westerners, right? That in we're in control. We we think we're in control a lot. A couple of blinks of an eye, and you find out very quickly you're not. But yet God is in control. Our texts tell us that his work in Ecclesiastics, his work, his scope of his whole work is from the beginning to the end. Romans tells us that we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to the purposes for them. But The problem here is that we misinterpret God's work. God's number one work is your character. That's his number one work in your life. We'd like to think it's money, blessing, future abilities. But his number one work is character. He wants to conform us into the image of His Son. Bringing us to the understanding of who Jesus is. God has a purpose in the church. This congregation specific, Christendom in general, every church will have its own purpose. God has purposed this congregation, to have influence in certain places, in certain people's lives. God will open doors. It's very interesting, as Pastor Strutz was here, I was speaking with him, and Colton, California, that church has become the influence of our fellowship in the nation of Taiwan. That out of all the churches they plant, and all this is this is the nation that he's see, that God opened the door. They're investing in. That it just became that way. It wasn't planned. No one sat down and said, "Okay, you know, Eric, you take Taiwan, and you know, Paul Stevens, you take uh, you know Mexico because you're right on the border, and you know, uh, and this one take this." And that's not how it worked. But God works out circumstances for churches. He's got a plan for the world. Places to be reached, resources to be had, relationships to be won. God has something for you mostly to be. Character number one. He does have things for you to do. And there are some things only you can do that no one else is going to be able to do. As Esther was told, maybe you have become queen for this very reason. There's things God wants you to have. That could be relationships, that can be physical things. God wants to bless you. That also could be talents and abilities. There's places God wants you to go. Some, well, that might be another city to pioneer a church. Others, that might be a neighborhood or a specific place for you to speak to someone. And there's people God wants you to influence. God uses... Circumstances to move us, to change us. Pressure is healthy. Some people that today, it's like, oh, I can't be under pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. You know, guitar strings without pressure, drum heads without pressure, sound very, very. There's no way to tune them. There's no way to get them in a symphony to sound nice. There's all sorts of pressures in life that prepare us for the future. Chapters that we cannot imagine seeing. On our drive up to Canada, my wife and I were just talking about Weren't we just 19 a couple of weeks ago? I mean, didn't did it just seem like we were just kids, just, you know, getting married and starting off in this. Now, you know, we're going up, a bit, you know. How does that happen? But God's taking and preparing people. See, because God's always looking, and our texts tell us, for the end result. You consider Abraham, and there's this, as Romans... 4 tells us, consider the steps or the path that Abraham took. There was delays, at least on Abraham's thinking. There were setbacks, at least in Abraham's thinking. There were frustrations, at least in Abraham's thinking. But Isaac was born exactly at the right time, exactly the right person. we could talk about Gideon. Gideon seems to be just one, he just stumbles into the will of God. He's hiding, he's threshing out, God visits him with an angel, he then barely believes that, then at night he goes and tears down an altar that God told him to tear down and make a stand and he, and they accuse him, want to kill him and you know, then he prays if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry and then if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry because maybe that's just the way it was supposed to be and, you know, then uh, he whittles down the army because God tells him, and then he has to go down to the camp and hear the dreams that the, media, uh, the enemy is having about how Gideon's going to roll into the camp and destroy us all. And yet God was working with him the whole time. We could talk about Peter. Peter's the classic disciple the overreactionary hothead. Lord, I'll never forsake you. I didn't know, I don't know who you're talking about. He's the one who pulled the Lord aside and said, Lord, you know this cross thing you're talking about? Forget it. Don't do that. Job. Job. James 5:11 says we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, the man of great endurance, and you see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. The Lord is full of tender full of tenderness and mercies. It's fascinating. And I believe Job is in the Bible for you and I to know that when we go through things, God is intending an end, a purpose. Let's just consider then, what could hinder God's purpose in your life? Because there are some things that could hinder. We looked at our Let Us Sunday school that we just finished, and one of them was let us lay aside the sin and the weight that does so easily trip us up that we can run the race with endurance. Sin will always weigh you down. Will always prevent you. Sin and disobedience. Sin could be what you commit. Sin could be what you omit. But it will hinder you from the purpose of God in your life. Romans 8, 6 through 8. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It it never did obey God's, God's laws... And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. When there is sin and disobedience, it will hinder the purpose of God in your life. Breaking the commandments. Doing something you know you should not do. Not doing something you know he wants you to do. Sin always brings destruction. And when we allow it in our lives, it's not just a, oh, that's going to hinder me. That's actually going to destroy you. That doesn't make you a little less spiritual tonight. It actually is the road to destruction. There's also the devil. The enemy fights spiritual realms. The devil is intimidated by what you will be, what you will do, what you will have, where you'll go, and who you'll influence. He's intimidated by that. He knows the power that can be there. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Now, I don't know all that that's speaking of. I don't know all that Paul is bringing out there, that he's saying, I'm trying to get to Thessalonica, and there's just... Maybe it's flight delays like we had with Pastor Day or Pastor Steve. I don't know if that's the devil. I know American Airlines just signed a new contract. I'm hoping that fixes a big part of the problems. And I don't know. But I do know the devil tries to hinder the purposes of God. He is real. He is active. He often uses people 2 Timothy 4:14 and Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm but the Lord will judge him for what he has done Alexander the coppersmith was the one who was going to go into the colosseum in Ephesus to silence the crowd That's who this man was. He was with Paul at one time. But we don't know exactly what he did. He resisted his words. He actually turned many of the churches in modern-day Turkey against Paul. Brought them against the ministry of of possibly the greatest apostle the world had ever seen. Some people agree with the purposes of the devil and work for him. But the probably worst issue that we'll face in the hindrance to our seeing the purposes of God in our life is the one that's the hardest to nail down. And that's the purpose of self-interest. Because we can spiritualize that. We can dress it up and make it look really, really good. One author wrote these words. For the last decade, there's been a happiness craze in our culture. Thousands of new books have been published on the topic, including Happy Money, Happiness for Beginners, The Happy Advantage, but a new study urges that pursuing happiness may not lead to what a Christian would call joy. Instead, we need, to, uh, we need meaning, purpose, and a sense of mission more than mere happiness. The author of the study that the article was about wrote, happiness without meaning characterizes relatively shallow self-absorbed or even a selfish life. In things which go well, needs and desires are easily satisfied, and difficult or taxing engagements are avoided. While being happy is about feeling good. Meaning is diverted from contributing to others or to society in a bigger way. One researcher said partly... What we do as human beings is take care of others and contribute to others. This makes life meaningful, but it does not necessarily make us happy. And happiness has simply become the must-have of so many people. I must be happy. Jude tells us that that kind of gospel that could be preached came into the church even in the first, gen- first century. He writes in verse 4, I say to you because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, and they have uh, have been destined only, uh, and they have been destined our only, disdained rather, our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This happens. And people use self-interest. Because I must feel happy. I've got to, I've got to, you know, it's got to be there. God's purpose is your character, not your feelings. And there's times in life where maybe it doesn't feel real good, but it's still the will of God. Let's talk about finding the purpose. Ecclesiastics 311, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time, and He's planted eternity in the heart, human heart so that even people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God doesn't make everything work out good. He just uses it for good. In life, you know, I've said this quote a hundred times, say it again, I love John Wayne's quote, life is hard, but it's harder if you're stupid. There's just times where it's difficult. But yet, God is at work. Think about the Apostle Paul, knocked down off the horse, struck blind, and yet right where God wanted him to be. God was going to work. He asked the question, who are you, Lord? This, is, this is, uh, comes out of Acts 26, when he's testifying to Felix. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appoint, appeared to you and appointed you to be my servant and my witness, to tell the people what you've seen and to tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Do I get a choice? <laughs> what if I don't like the Gentiles? What if I don't like their football team? What if I do you know. He doesn't ask you. He tells him. Andrew and Peter, within earshot probably of James and John, one day Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing their nets into the water, for they, were fish- they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will show you to how to fish for people. I will make you to be a fisherman. I will make you. The same terminology... In the Greek, the original Greek that Paul uses, I will make you. God's plan is to make you. And he'll use circumstances. He'll use. Pastor Greg used to say, I thank God for some of the men who tormented my life. And he would name them and I would know who they are. And I'll spare you the names. One man hated him. Simply because he was Pastor Mitchell's son. Jealous as long as the day is, and just a twisted little man. But anyway. He goes, I think because he, he made me realize some things in my life. God used it changed me. All things. The good and the bad. The exciting the boring, God will use all things. His purpose from beginning to end. And God's working for your blessing. God wants to bless you in so many ways, but you have to be used for the purpose. One man said that a ship in a harbor is safe But that's not what it was built for. Betty Maxfield, she survived 9-11. She was in the Pentagon at the time. She said, I should have been dead. I was, for some reason, saved. Now my question is, what am I supposed to do with it? Am I just can't waste it i thought i was living my life well before but obviously there's more that i can do and to say thank you for the rest of my life and the second chance i got so there's more she survives 9-11 she realizes that you know what god had a purpose And that I need to live to that level. I need God to help me to be that person. God has called me to be character first. Abilities, influence, things to have, places to go. All of those are important. But God has to have the purpose first. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this this evening and you're not right with God. You're not saved. You're not born again. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. Died upon Calvary's cross so that you can know your purpose in sin and disobedience. Selfishness and self-indulgence. You'll never find the purposes of God. The only thing you'll find is bitterness and frustration, anxiety, sleepless nights. This is a plague in our generation. And a major result is because of sin. That people have turned their backs on the purposes of God. Some of them even go to churches, but they're not interested in God's purpose. God wants to touch your life. He wants to save you, set you free, do a miracle in your life that you could be born again. And you're here this evening. You're not right with God. You're not saved or you're backslidden. You need to come to Jesus. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Say, you know what? That's me. I need prayer tonight. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I need Jesus. I'm backslidden. I'm away from God. I knew God at one time, but self-indulgence, sin got in the way, and now now I'm not serving God. Anyone at all. Changing the call then to Christians. God's primary purpose is your character. To make you and I to become more like Jesus. In our character. That's the number one area he's going to work on. There are things God wants you to have. Places to go. People to influence. Things to do. But God's going to use circumstances. Because he has a purpose. He's not lost to that purpose. He's not trying to figure out how to do it. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's asking for your cooperation. Will you let me use your life in my purpose? Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to sing a song. I'll worship His name. Creating me a clean heart. Give up. people are in time Free to pray. In the me altar. A clean heart. Oh, God And renew my spirit within me Create in me a clean heart cast me not away hey, hey. Let's give him praise. Let's thank him. Father, we love you.